Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to the Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm your host, and today I'm joined by a very good friend, uh, someone I deeply respect and have had the opportunity to meet with and befriend and pick each other's brains. I'm here with Ray Ching, who is the pastor at Ambassador Church in Anaheim, but also the uh, director of the Ambassador Church Network, who have uh, been able to plant and assist in planting 12 churches, probably more by now. Um, Mm -hmm. And Ray, I've even been to the class. You teach multiple classes, um, (laughs) one on the campus there, but also Uh connected, is it with um, Talbot School of Theology, Mm -hmm. or is is it Fuller, or is it Biola, or is it all the above? Well, it, it was uh, at Talbot, uh, Biola. Um, it was for a summer uh, boot camp in conjunction with the Evangelical Free Church uh, of America. And so we had sort of a joint uh, seminary class. It was called a basically church planting boot camp uh, intensive. And But we've been doing this all across the world now. I've been teaching this in, in Korea at Torch Seminary. I've been teaching this at uh, Singapore Bible College. Uh, we taught this at uh, Trinity many years ago, and so it's it's a great opportunity for uh, church planters to be immersed uh, in a sort of a high intensive one week training. That's amazing. Well, you um, also uh, one of your claims to fame is you got to serve alongside of Chuck Swindoll, and I, I'm sorry, man, I may be old school, but that dude is one <laughs> of my heroes. So. I'm just I'm just impressed to bask yeah. in your radiance because of that. <laughs> you know, it's it's it was one of those experiences that uh, actually was so formative in my life, and it wasn't just Chuck. He he was an amazing leader, uh, preacher, uh, but it was the whole staff and the team. And uh, one man in particular, uh, Paul Selhammer, was uh, Chuck's uh, senior associate executive, and he took two residents. Uh, under his wing, and, and they eventually, uh, it sort of became for me the, the foundation of church planting residency, which I'll talk a little bit later about. Uh, but that was probably that one-year experience changed my the whole course of my ministry life. We definitely want to hear about that. But before we get into really um, how to run, how to start a church planting residency and what that looks like, mm-hmm. I would love to hear a bit how you got into church planting. Give, give yeah. us a story. You kind of gave us a sneak peek. Give us a story Absolutely. about that. You know, church planting uh, many years ago, I, when I first planted was back in actually uh, the uh, early to mid-90s. And so this was before church planting was an in thing. It was one of those things that people on the fringes or people who couldn't do regular church did. And I remember um, my first experience in church planting was actually a negative experience. I'm, I'm not even sure if I've ever shared this story with you, Peyton, but um, I was a young pastor right out of seminary and uh, had this big vision of, of starting a, uh, a bilingual church. And we had a, a Korean-speaking pastor, and I was going to be starting an English-speaking church. And, and I was excited. I, I, I was an idealist. I wanted to start a new type of church for young people. Uh, second generation Asian Americans, and this was back in the early '90s. Um, and I remember uh, the the vision I had. I, I got my friends together. I said, "Hey, what do you think about starting this new church?" Uh, I was about uh, 
12 of my friends said, hey, you know, that sounds like a great idea. And so we met on a Saturday night first service, and I was excited. I preached a sermon. I was a single guy, uh, highly uh, motivated to plant this new second-generation church. The week uh, after that, we had about six people. The week after that, we had three people. Uh, it was sort of the reverse of church growth. <laughs> so I learned the hard way what church planting wasn't. Uh, and that really actually was a, a discouraging thing for me. I, I kind of felt like, you know, I, I went through this training to plant a church for the next generation. And this is how the way God treats me. And and, and I went on this uh major sort of uh, pity party for myself. And that actually, for me, that failure early on was a real catalyst for me uh, because I realized in terms of my own, own sense of insecurity and maturity, and that's what led me to a uh, another seminary. I had graduated from Talbot and then went to Dallas. And that's what led me even eventually into a church planting residency at EV Free Fullerton under Swindoll. And so one of the things I like to share with uh, young leaders all the time is oftentimes uh, your second church plant is the better church plant. <laughs> so if you fail the first time, don't give up. You know, oftentimes God uses that to reshape, uh, sort of remold you into what he wants you to be. Uh, so after that experience of, of you know, failing, uh, you know, went through uh, this residency program. It, it wasn't a church planting residency. It was more of a pastoral residency. And that shaped me into understanding what a leader is. And, and it was a large mega megachurch, um, one of the key influential churches back in the 90s. Um, and eventually after that, I was uh, went to Washington, D.C. And it was in D.C. Uh, that I planted my first church. And this was back in 1996. And the vision that I had in planting was, you know, we had this growing, emerging second generation Asian American community. Uh, and oftentimes when you think about immigrant churches, you think about the first generation, you think about the, the language, the primary language uh, that people spoke. Uh, but there was this whole growing, emerging second generation that spoke English. And how do we minister to them? And I remember being in D.C., uh, seeing this whole emerging group come up. And then uh, another interesting challenge back then in the 90s was this emerging diversity of, of different ethnic groups. And one day as I was driving up, uh, uh, DuPont Circle, seeing all the different embassies, seeing all the different flags that represented different countries, I thought to myself, you know, what we need here on our earth is a embassy that represents the kingdom of God. And it was there the Lord uh, brought the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20, where uh, Paul admonishes the Corinthian church that we are ambassadors bringing the message of reconciliation. So back in 1996, that's when the Lord inspired me to plant a, not an Asian American church, but a multi-ethnic church. And that was one of the early multi-ethnic churches uh, with the focus of reaching all people. And our tagline is, we wanted a church that looks like what heaven's going to look like. And from that point on, um, it, again, there wasn't a lot of strategy. There wasn't a lot of form. There wasn't exponential. There wasn't any church planning boot camp. Uh, it was simply the Bible. <laughs> and God said, this is what I want you to do. Well, we started with 11 people meeting in our apartment. And uh, that 11 grew to you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, eventually 120 of these young second generation uh, Asians and non-Asians. And uh, uh, the exciting thing is uh, two years ago, I was invited to their 20th anniversary service. 
and they asked me to come and share. And, and it was amazing to see 20 plus years later, the church still growing and thriving and, and just as diverse and even more diverse now. And so that's sort of my journey in church planting. From there, uh, after planting uh, in D.C., the Lord called me back to L.A. where I grew up. I went back on staff at E.B. Free Fullerton, uh, where I was a resident. And from there, um, the Lord really just impressed upon my heart to develop a church that would be a leadership training center, a catalyst for church planting. And so out of Fullerton, I planted another church called Ambassador, uh, my second Ambassador Church. Um, and out of our church, we've been able to see a bunch of churches being planted uh, through a residency program that we develop. So anyway, that's, that's sort of my 30-year journey in about five minutes. So, you know, if, if you're looking at um, what you're doing now, what would be the ratio? Because I've, I've been in your classroom and I've seen the ratio of white to non-white mix. And it's pretty impressive. I, I would say when I walked in there, I was one of maybe three white people in the room. And there's a room probably of 20, 25. I don't know how the math adds up typically from the average week, but you truly embodied your mission to be an ambassador yeah. as a multi-ethnic missional multiplying church. What, how, how has that worked out? And, and, and what have been some things along the way that really helped accomplish that? That's a great question. You know, as you know, the, the whole issue of race is one of those topics. Uh, in, in some sense, a very hot uh, button topic in our culture. But for me, it's, it was never about racial issues. It was never about social justice issues as, as the primary motivation. It was really the gospel issue. And for me, um, you know, I, growing up as an Asian American in America, you know, I got to see uh, racism from a sort of a different perspective than, you know, our African-American brothers or Hispanic brothers, uh, but still had to deal with it. And, you know, one of the challenges of being an Asian is that there is a stereotype that in some sense people would consider as being positive, but in, in another sense, it's, it's also very oppressive. You know, as Asians, we are sort of perceived as a, what they would term as a model uh, minority, and, and, and in many ways, we're not. I mean, there was a strong emphasis on education and all that, but at the same time, there's there's a large high suicide rate and, and a lot of failure rate, and so there's a lot of other components to it. And so, when I, uh, as an Asian American, wanted to plant a church, uh, you know, the way I I saw it was we're not. You know, I, I remember growing up in America. This is funny. I grew up in America all my life. And yet people would still ask me, when are, you going, when are you going back to your country? As assuming that, you know, my country, because of my heritage, is, as I'm Korean, that that's where I need to end up. And, 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 you know, dealing with those kinds of remarks when I was growing up was, was common among a lot of, you know, minorities. Uh, where did you grow really, up, right? I'm sorry? What, what, part, what part did you grow up in? I, in Southern California, <laughs> where we have a large Asian American community. But, oh, that's you know, amazing. Yeah, and, and, and I think every minority at some point deals with the, the race issue. You know, and again, we all have different mm. perspectives. But when it goes, goes back to the Bible, you look at the Great Commission, and you see, you know, go and make disciples of all ethnos, all people group. The mission of the gospel was to preach to all people because we're all created in the image of God. And then you see the other side, what I call the great culmination, <laughs> book of Revelation. And you see all nations, all tribes, all people gathering together. 
So I always say this, that, you know, really from the great commission to the great culmination is really what the church is, right? We are to represent all people. And, and sociologically, it's been a challenge, especially, you know, as the diversity issue and people not knowing how to deal with each other. And so I say, look, let, let Christ be the focus. Let's plant a church that represents, you know, uh, the body of Christ in its fullness. And so that really became the catalyst. And so the question you're asking is, is uh, the emphasis that I've always had is we want to be a church in which all people are part of, even though we're starting our base from an Asian American second generation base. That's where we kind of, that was my uh, uh, culture. We've been able to see other churches being planted. Uh, uh, most of my, <laughs> ironically, most of my residents, three of my residents are Caucasian. They're not Asian. <laughs> Our last right. church plant is an African American church in uh, mm -hmm. Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, wow. We've been able to plant churches and, and or help guys uh, in, in, you know, Canada. Uh, we, you know, help, guys in here locally in Fullerton and Los Angeles and other places. And so again, race is secondary uh, to really the, the mission. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, we need to be cognizant of, of these issues as well. I love the fact that, um, you know, really the way that the gospel even came to Korea in the first mm. place Absolutely. Um, was a multi-ethnic uh, endeavor. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you'd want to share that story about Robert Jermaine Thomas and yeah. you know, uh, any of that. But I mean, that that in itself is a multi-ethnic um, kind of shared uh, collaboration. Absolutely. You know, the fun, funny thing is that most Koreans are Presbyterian. Yes. And you would ask why. And it was because Scotland, <laughs> you know, uh, back in, uh, I guess the, there was a mission council in Edinburgh many, many years ago. And so they divided up, you know, all the different nations. And I think Scotland was one of the nations I got Korea. So and then you had Americans go. And, and uh, again, we have a great legacy of missionaries going to Korea. Uh, the neat thing about Korea is that next to the United States, Korea being a small nation, um, Korea is the second largest mission sending uh, country in the world. And again, it, it goes full circle, right? And, and I think that's the exciting thing about the gospel is that regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of background, you know, that the gospel um, goes into a culture and, and transforms not only the people, but the systems and society. Uh, so that they can become the agents of God's grace all around the world. And, and I'm thankful for my Korean heritage. You know, I grew up uh, living in America, resenting. I wish I was American like everybody else. But looking back and just thankful that all of us created the image of God, have an opportunity to contribute. And, and you know, as a Korean, you know, I'm thankful for, the, for my spiritual heritage. Um, so anyway, it's been exciting to see uh, the movement of the gospel move forward. And Robert Jermaine Thomas, for those of you that don't know, uh, was a Welshman who headed over mm -hmm. there and uh, was martyred, really. Mm -hmm. um, not, not necessarily for his faith, but yeah. on, the, on the sands there at Pyongyang as uh, the ship dock, there yeah. was a misunderstanding that resulted in a massacre. Mm -hmm. And of course, he had a bag full of Bibles, which the local uh, innkeeper ran down and um, took off some of the corpses, some, some, as everyone did back then, um, took some of the things and he, he saw, uh, Bibles and thought, Hey, I could wallpaper the walls of my, uh, hotel. <laughs> this my inn, which he did. 
And one of the guests years later, I, I think it must have been decades later, mm-hmm. was reading the walls in Chinese and and came to faith right there in the room. And that was the start, if I'm not mistaken, of the, the great revival that swept mm-hmm. through Korea. How God uses even the, the you know the strangest circumstances to to make His name um, you know and His fame great. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know one of the most powerful things about Robert Jermaine Thomas is he died thinking he was a failure. You know, mm. probably his final mm. thoughts were, "Well, there goes my life for nothing," and yeah. yet he was that seed that fell to the ground and died. Absolutely, and so, and, I, and I think every church planner, you know, that that's the story of church planning. You don't mm-hmm. uh, decide, you know, I'm going to have what Stephen Furtick and you know all these celebrity pastors have. You know what the fast track to that is? Church planning. I think every church planner has to say, you know, what I'm willing to die. If it means, you know, I'll, I'll, it's almost like committing ministerial suicide to become a, yeah. a church planner. Flesh and blood does not reveal these things. And so you Absolutely. you go to plant, you know, it's the extreme sport of ministry and you go mm-hmm. into it. So you've got a whole passel of students and mm-hmm. you've got this uh, internship there. You've got a... Um, you know, a, a, a whole program. Unpack that a bit for the listeners who are thinking, because I know you started small, Ray. I know you didn't start yeah, big. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got into that, what it looked like, how you got it off the ground. What are some of the yeah. blood, sweat, and tears that came out of that? Oh, you know, I, I, I think oftentimes what we've experienced is what we replicate, right? And I remember, uh, you know, I grew up growing up in a Korean church that uh, my idea of, of mentoring and discipling was look, but don't touch, meaning this. When I grew up in the Asian church, uh, in three years, I was serving at a, at a church where I was an English-speaking youth pastor, and, and the, the pastor was Korean. And his interaction with me in three years was basically two conversations. <laughs> so I always joke that, that really mentoring was, you know, look, but don't touch, <laughs> that kind of mentoring. And and, you know, I learned a lot just by observing, but there was no relationship. And it was when I went to Evie Free Fullerton that I really understood um, the value of hands-on mentoring, you know, uh, on-the-job training. And, and that really, like I said at the beginning, that that was the formation for me in terms of understanding how do you train up leaders? It's not just by putting them in a classroom. Uh, and you know, you know, drawing charts for people. It was going on the uh, on the front lines of doing ministry. And that year at Fullerton, understanding residency, we went through so much. I mean, we began the year uh, in our residency with one of the elders um, at that church um, accused of of, of uh, it was sexual misconduct or, or or being a pedophile. And that became a major issue in the, you know, publicly, and and how the church dealt with that. They were on the forefront of, of, of dealing with that issue. It was, it was pretty amazing, uh, you know, to see a church, a large church, wrestling through these hard issues and being in the front lines of that, uh, was one of the most important things for me. And after finishing that year, uh, I decided, you know, the best way to train up leaders is hand in hand, you know, and making sure that they walk alongside. You so after that year at Fullerton, um, I decided every time that I'm going to be doing something, I'm going to always bring a resident along with me. And so, uh, when I started um, 
in DC, you know, we have two guys who are residents or who are associates with me. And they're still two of my close friends even to this day. And then when we planted out in, in uh, back in LA, um, I was the outreach pastor at Free Fullerton. And I decided uh, with their permission to bring five seminary students, students from Talbot. And we started this little group called Ambassador Fellowship. And that fellowship then eventually grew to become Ambassador Church. And, and three out of the four, or four out of the five eventually became church planters. And so creating this little laboratory of leadership development and to see the fruit of that. And again, I think the danger for us is, you know, when we look at churches, it's easy for us to see churches in terms of systems and size. And that's kind of how we measure, oh, this church is huge. Uh, but really for me, the most effective ministry was not in, in the context of a large megachurch. It was really in the, in the front lines of doing battle with these young leaders and, you know, how Jesus mentored 12 uh, disciples. And they eventually became, you know, the ones that spread the gospel all, all across and they were the catalysts. And so uh, every year I committed to, even though we didn't have a lot of funding, uh, I committed to uh, training up a leader and sending that leader off. So when we first plant, planted the first year, Somebody told me a great little saying is when you plant a church, plant it pregnant. <laughs> what he meant by that was, you know, make sure that you have in the very core of your DNA, you know, this birthing vision. And so I, I had a guy named Brian come on in our first year. And, and then I told Brian, um, you know, after we plant, I want you to go out. You can take about you know, anybody you want uh, and we'll give you a certain amount of money for the, from our little budget. And we we're less than 100 people. And Brian went off and took about 10% of our church, which was only about 10 people, and planted in, in another city. And every year we've been doing that. And it's been really amazing. I mean, it's, some years were harder than others. Uh, people would question, why are we planting a church when our church isn't big enough? Um, and, and that was a valid uh, criticism because at times I would emphasize church planting so much. Every three years, our whole staff would turn over because we would, you know, plant churches. And uh, th there came a point where it was, uh, at, at some point it became unhealthy for us because we're planting so much that uh, we weren't able to grow our church. And so, uh, again, it's, it's a both and, not an either or. And we spent a few years really trying to grow our church and really develop a better system of discipleship. And our church went from 100 to 500. And we were able to, again, you know, continue the church planting um, vision. And it was about uh, about three years ago that an organization called Made to Flourish uh, contacted us, or we contacted them, and they had a residency fund where they were uh, sponsoring churches that were doing residencies. And so they uh, selected our church and gave us you know, a five-year investment. And every year now, we have four residents, full-time paid, that are focused on in, in, in planting or being a senior leader somewhere. Um, and so we've been doing that and the Lord has been just amazingly uh, gracious with us. And uh, it's not that our church knows a lot, <laughs> you know, it's not that we have the best church, but we do have great interns and residents. And my job wow. as a senior pastor is to invest in that. So there's only two groups of people I meet with Peyton in our church. I meet with our, um, our executives team, uh, our two campus pastors, and then I meet with our two residents. And then our two campus pastors then meet with, with, with their staff. So 
Uh, for me, I've always made it a high priority that our residents get a, a, a large uh, bulk of my time. Yeah, 50% by the sound of it, which exactly. is pretty impressive. So uh, as, you're, as you're doing this, what, what would it look like? I mean, that's amazing that you have the funding for them. What does it look like for a full-time uh, residency? What, would it, what, what does life yeah. look like for them? How do you keep them busy? What's a program oh, yeah. look like for residency? <laughs> you know, COVID-19 has really changed the whole residency. <laughs> Uh, they actually have right now it looks like a free ride <laughs> <laughs> for, for for our residents they they were able to see a church in transition in midstream you know our typical residency model was every Monday we would meet they would write up a, a weekly report of who they met uh, what they're working on um, issues that they they had questions on and then um, uh, uh, you know books that they're reading so, so every week they would do that report, and they still do. And then uh, they would be assigned to one of the two campuses. And so they would be working under either our Anaheim campus or our Brea campus. Um, and then I would meet with them throughout the week and follow up with what they're doing and, and so forth. So that was our typical uh, residency model. Let me, let me um, interrupt you real quick and yeah. ask you, what, what would be some of the resources that you would encourage church planners to read? What, what are some of the books on your list that you just think, man, these are must reads for planners? Yeah. Well, you know, of course, you know, books like uh, Center Church by, uh, you know, uh, Tim Keller, you know, Amazing books book, by Ed yeah. Stetzer, you know, on planting missional churches, uh, you know, and then we also have leadership books that we would encourage them to read, you know, uh, Good to Great, um, of course, you know, your books, Peyton, <laughs> you know, they're required reading. <laughs> you don't have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, we've brought you in, you know, so every week we would also have uh, leadership training and I would bring in different leaders and, and, you know, I'm thankful for your friendship because you would come and, and help us do some training as well. But that, that, those are the things that I really want, you know, not only for me to uh, guide them, but to also have leaders guide them as well. And, um, and so we've been fortunate to have uh, you know, a group of friends that would come and, and do some training for us. And you were, you were starting to tell us before I interrupted about kind of a little bit more about the residency. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, that we, you know, our residency starts in September. Uh, we have a, uh, an application process. This year it's been, again, very unusual. Um, but they, they would end in August. So it would be a two-year residency. We actually began it as a one-year residency, uh, but we felt like um, a two-year residency would be a little bit better in terms of developing them a little bit more long-term. One of the challenges of a one-year residency really was that one year goes by real fast in a church. I always say this, like church year is like dog year. It's like every year is like five years, right? Part That's of it funny. is we don't meet. Yeah, we don't meet that many times. If you think about it, um, I remember a, a, a wise pastor told me this: that you can often do more in a one weekend retreat than you can do in in one year at a church. And 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 yeah. he gave me sort of the you know like he broke it down. If if every single person meets every single uh, like once a week and comes to service, that's one hour. And if you think about it, that's only fifty two hours. But in a weekend retreat, you can do so much more, you know, talking about just in terms of interaction with yeah. people. And, um, and I think one of the things about a year residency for us was, man, this went by so quick. 
And, and so we decided, you know, maybe let's extend our residency to two-year program. So we changed that once we received some outside funding. But really, their, their, their goal in residency is to uh, observe, uh, to participate. We give uh, residents opportunities to preach on our main pulpit. We give them opportunities to lead a group. One of the challenges of residency also, we ask them to start something that hasn't been started. In other words, Ooh. to take leadership because we want them to, to model what it looks like. If they're going to be planting a church, they need to, number one, you know, go through the conception phase of creating a vision, casting that vision, developing a team around that vision, and then implementing that vision, and then handing it off. I mean, Good. those are the things that every church planner has to do. And so one of the things that we ask our residents to do is some, start something that hasn't been started before. You know? And so we've had our men's ministry, women's ministry start because of a resident. We've had, uh, you know, college young adults start because of a resident. Uh, this, you know, because of COVID-19, one of our residents took on the mantle of becoming our social media coordinator, <laughs> you know, doing nice. video production, uh, you know, using a Twitter and, and, and you know, uh, Facebook and all, Instagram uh, and developing a strategy for that. So residents are, are, you know, not only are they contributing, but we're trying to develop in them to be future leaders uh, as well. That's amazing. And Ray, thanks so much for sharing with us. If, if people wanted to get in touch with you yeah. and pick your brain and, or, or are even interested in the Ambassador Network, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can uh, uh, contact me directly, uh, ray.chang at ambassadornet.org. Uh, Ray.Chang at ambassadornet.org, or they can go www.ambassadornet.org. Uh, that's one way to just you know connect with me. I uh, love to help in any way. I mean, one of my things, and, and Peyton, you you have the same heart. Is is you know what God has given to us is you know, He's given to us so much resources and, and encouragement and mentoring, and we want to extend that back to whoever. And so, uh, if there's any encouragement I can give, please contact me and love to help out. Yeah. And one of the things I'll tell you about Ray from knowing him over the years is Ray is a connector. He loves to connect people for collaboration in the kingdom. That's one of our, our themes is together, the great mm -hmm. collaboration. We're going to be coming together this fall. If you have not heard about it, rather than running our fall conferences, we're in the process of meeting a hundred different cities with a hundred people. We call them our fall roundtables. And what we're going to discuss, obviously, is some of the, the, the pain points in this nation right now, which uh, would be uh, the issues of race and racial tension. Uh, these are also running in Europe. So if you're listening overseas, go to multiplication.org and look for a city near you. A hundred different cities, a hundred different meetings, a hundred people at each. That's 10,000 people. That's actually more people than we ever have at our fall conference. So we want to extend our reach and get you involved there. So what I can tell you is when you go to register, you're going to be dropped into our online community, which is new. Uh, it's something that, that we'll be doing. We started it when uh, Boise 
online conference uh, had to become a thing because Boise Regional Conference could not happen due to COVID-19. We're discussing things like COVID-19. We're discussing the racial tensions. We're having regular conversations with people like Jeff Vanderstelt, Ralph Moore, Carrie Newhoff, others uh, that are dedicated, like Ray, to multiplication. And we're talking to thought leaders, practitioners, you name it. And uh, yours truly will be hosting a lot of our live events there. So come join us for that. And all you have to do is go to multiplication.org. And as we're currently saying right now around exponential circles, because the need is great, the community is free. We're not charging for this. Uh, the fall roundtables will be a, a cost associated, but we do three live events a week where you get to meet with leaders like Ray, Pick His Brain, and those are free. So multiplication.org. I want to thank Ray for coming on today. Check out Ambassador Network and uh, get in touch with Ray if this sparked you at all. Thanks again, Ray, for coming. Thank you so much, Peyton. Great. And on behalf of Exponential, I want to thank all of you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a review, and you might just get it read out here on the podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you for being a part of the multiplication journey with Exponential.org. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.